We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back, Hornets fans and BuzzBeat listeners. I'm your host, Spencer Percy. BuzzBeat is your official podcast of QueenCityHoops.com and a a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Make sure you're going and checking out uh, really the podcast playground over at AlmightyBaller.com. They got everything for fantasy podcasts, DFS. uh, Every team in the league is covered. Uh, Chris Axman, the the executive producer over there, has got – uh, a nationally known podcast, the Almighty Baller podcast. So uh, make sure you're checking out all their stuff. This is our 15th episode, if you can believe it or not. We're very grateful uh, for everyone who's been a consistent listener. Um, so today we're going to talk about Charlotte's road trip so far. It's been an up and down road trip, some positive moments, certainly some set and some negative moments. Kemba seems to be back in all-star form. Uh, Frank Kaminsky has been playing a lot better, and now he's injured uh, an injury that, that we have some inside information on that's not out there yet, so make sure you stick around for that. And then where does the season go from here? Uh, is it time to pull the plug? Do you keep chasing the playoffs? Is that even a possibility still? So we're going to talk about all that uh, in this episode. We also have a very special guest with us today uh, that I will introduce momentarily. But first, as always, with me is Busby co-host Richie Handles Randall. Okay, so Richie made the mistake of recently letting me know that back in his uh, his school days, he he was known to have the best handles in school. So first, Richie, how are you? Second, you have to give us some context into that story. I'm doing pretty good, Spencer. Uh, this yeah, this is episode 15 for Buzzbeat, and a little bit of context into that story. Yes, I I was not a good shooter, did not play good defense. I got brought off at the end of games, uh, offense for defense substitution by a freshman. But what I did have, I thought, I thought I had good handles, thought I did very good with the passing, uh, because I really didn't care about shooting, I didn't care about scoring, I was all about getting others involved, so I figured if I could perfect my, my ball handling skills, my no-look passes, that I would be an asset to the team, and uh, for a good portion of my sophomore season, I, I did start for my high school basketball team because of those things, but obviously, 
that was really all I was good at. But uh, yeah, I mean, not to brag, I, that was what I was known for, for my handles. Well, I mean, let's be honest, Richie. What you do best is get others involved, and you're, you know, you're unselfish by nature. So I, I, I wasn't surprised. But when you made the mistake of telling me that, I, you, you knew I was going to make you tell that to the world too. So. Right. So I'll never, uh, never text right, you anything again. <laughs> all right, Richie. Tell our listeners real quickly uh, where they can find us out there on the interwebs. Yeah, you can find our written content over at queencityhoops.com, and all our podcasts are also there on a podcast tab. But probably easier just to go to iTunes uh, and and search us there, BuzzBeat. Uh, you can also find us over at almightyballer.com. Okay. All right. Awesome. Uh, and today we also have a very special guest uh, with us um, that I'm going to introduce now <clears throat> from WFNZ Radio in Charlotte and co-host of the Mac Attack in the Morning, Travis Hancock, or better known, and probably as you know him, as T-Bones. T-Bone, I listened to your new podcast the other day, and forgive me, I can't remember exactly what it's called right now, maybe the Boneyard, I think, but anyways, listen to it, uh, the inaugural uh, podcast that you had, uh, very special guest, Mark from Gastonia, that's a story in of itself, but one of the most incredible slash terrifying listens of my life, but I, I couldn't stop. Tell us a little bit about your new show, and Really, what led you to launching that? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. After putting Mark from Gastoni on my podcast, I might need a job soon. So I might be a <laughs> weekly contributor here to the BuzzBeat podcast. Now, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Could never figure out the best way, to, the best thing for me to do as a podcast. We have so many crazy listeners and callers that I thought, like, I need to go more in-depth with some of them. So that's what we're doing. We're having a good time. We're going to have to get you on at some point, Spencer. And most importantly, Handles Randall needs to be on the show. <laughs> Handles Randall, yeah. He's got to – we got to break the seal on that. He, he certainly is a good – Sounds uh, like a Harlem Globetrotter from back in the day. I'm telling you, when it when I, like, typed it in last night, I was like, you know what? I said it a few times. I was like, man, that really rolls off the tongue. So, yeah, it, it does. fits. It does. No, we, we appreciate you coming on today, man. And certainly no, they appreciate... called me. they called me hot sauce growing <laughs> up, by the way, playing basketball. Oh, oh, so so let's get the quick story behind that. I mean, while we're telling stories about Well, it's about not because you... of my handle, not my handle or, you know, my ability to yam on somebody. Before a team dinner, uh, I got oh. hot sauce in my eye, and I had to sit out. <laughs> so that name sucked for a couple of years. That's a tr- I've never told that story before because I don't think that's really a cool story. But that's what happened. Hey, just go with the hot sauce thing. I mean, it sounds cool. So, it well, does. look. I appreciate you coming on, Richie and I both appreciate it. And, uh, you know, just let me be the first to say we appreciate, you know, you guys, uh, you know, having Queen City Hoops on uh, WFNZ and letting us talk some Hornets. And it's been a, uh, you know, it's a good, good relationship we've got with you guys. So we appreciate what you do. Um, all right, fellas. Well, let's, uh, let's jump right in. We've got a lot to cover today. <clears throat> I wanted to start by just kind of, because Richie, you and I, it's, it's been two weeks since we've kind of sat down and done a podcast. So, I don't, we don't, we're not going to do like the game-to-game recap like maybe we've done in the past. Let's, let's just talk uh, the Hornets' West Coast trip to this point and really start with the Detroit game and work from there. Um, but, it, you know, the, the Hornets have been competitive, I, I, would, I would preface this with, and really could slash should be 4-1 uh, if we're being honest. I mean, the Clippers game, uh, you know, is a game that you feel like you should win and certainly the Detroit game. Uh, so this could have been a, a really good road trip, um, really with the ball just rolling a different way uh, a few times. But, you know, the Hornets are two and three on the road trip so far with the last one at Denver tonight. <clears throat> Richie, I want to start with you and then Bones will work to you and then come back to me. But 
Just give me your biggest positive that you've seen in this five-game stretch after the road – or excuse me, after the All-Star break, and then give me your biggest negative. And, Richie, let's, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay. They're going to be polar opposites here. We've got Kimba's play as the biggest positive. I think that's that's fairly obvious. He's come back from the All-Star break rejuvenated. Um, it, it's almost like he's validated that he got that All-Star, all-star bid. Um, he's coming back, letting it fly, shooting with confidence, and he's really carrying us over these these games. Another positive, I like the LA Clipper game a lot. I stayed up for that one, uh, barely, barely stayed up for it. But we played well, um, even though, you know, JJ Redick went off in the first half and Blake Griffin scored 43 points. And, you know, a call here or there could have gone our way and we, we could have came out with the victory with that one. So I, I, we felt defeated after that game, but I did, I did feel proud about the way that we competed in that game as well. So two positives, Kimball Walker's play, just the way he's shooting the ball. And you know that stat that I gave you probably early in February where you're shooting really, really bad uh, around the basket? Well, in the past five games, he is back up to his average shooting 56% in the restricted area. Uh, I think it was down to like 30% early in February. The negative, the one negative coming back, I guess, all the players other than Kemba, you know, we're having to rely so much on Kemba Walker because the others just can't get it done. And I think that was very evident in the Detroit Pistons game uh, in which... Uh, you know, I feel like Campbell was scoring all the baskets late and we managed to score 23 points in the final fourth quarter in overtime and 13 of those came from Kemba. So positive Kemba, negative everyone but Kemba. Hot sauce. What do you got? Yeah. Thank you for calling me that. I hope that's sick. <laughs> you know, I think uh, obviously Kemba was one that he mentioned. I'll give you two positives that I'll take away from uh, their play since the all-star break. One, the renewed bounce in their step. The competitive spirit's been a lot better. Before the All-Star break, it was a tough team to watch. You got the feeling they were going to lose every game outside of playing Brooklyn. Because I think for a stretch, their only two wins in about 15 games was beating the Nets. Yep. So it feels like they're kind of back to what they were, sort of, kind of, earlier in the season in terms of the product. So that's been a more positive. Secondly, the play of Frank Kaminsky. I think he's been a big positive. Now, hopefully the injury doesn't derail that. But I said during this stretch, if they're not going to make the playoffs, let's see what we have with Frank. Is he an asset going forward? Is he a building block? What What is Frank going to be? And you've got to be pleasantly surprised by the way Kaminsky played from February 1st on. The negative, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, and sometimes the NBA gods don't smile down on you. The fact they have a six-game road trip, with this renewed energy, they have a six-game road trip right after the All-Star break for a team that doesn't handle the road well. So imagine if this team was playing at home for six games after the All-Star break. So I think the, the timing of the road trip was a big negative also. So you're a Knicks fan. See, I see. I did not know that. No clue. Are you from New York? I'm from Connecticut, but I grew up a, I grew up a Knicks fan. It's, uh, trust me, that's a, that's a podcast for another day. That's a, that's a horrific <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, um, you know, sometimes I don't think it can, you know, get worse than being a Hornets fan. But I don't know, Knicks being a Knicks fan, that that's certainly in the conversation. Um, well, it, so I think the positives you guys have definitely mentioned them. I mean, it is certainly a more, more watchable product um, since the All Star break, and you know, a lot of that obviously has to do with the fact that I think guys are just fresh again, you know, and that was a much needed break for a Hornets team that, you know, for a roster really for the most part that is old. Um, and they needed the rest. Kimba is definitely back to form. I mean, he's, he's had three straight games now where he's pretty easily scored 30-plus points. But 
you know, that being said, and those are the positives. Again, you guys have already mentioned them. I, I just think like this roster is just so, so flawed. Um, and it's something that you, you couldn't necessarily see at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, I thought Bellinelli uh, would be, you know, I, I thought he'd fill the gap for, uh, for Courtney Lee a lot better over an 82 game stretch than he has. I mean, he is just an absolute shell of himself. Um, you know, at this point in the season, and looks like it really looks like he has nothing left in the league. I mean, when you've really watched him play lately, he's he's not a threat off the bounce. When he gets the ball, nothing's going to the rim, and that's really been the the Hornets' offense in a microcosm um, outside of Kimba. Anyways, it's just like dribbling, dribble handoff uh, passes around the arc. I mean, they can't even get the ball to the rim. Kimba's not going there. Um, so you know, it, it's really the the positives again. We've already mentioned him. The negatives. I, I just think that, like, we know what this team is now. The bench is awful. Uh, Nick Batum cannot find any kind of consistency, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, and it's just all Kimball Walker. And you just keep waiting on, you know, something to change, uh, you know, or something to alter, or somebody to start playing more up to their potential. But, like, I think that's kind of the point here is this, this kind of is the Hornets' potential. I mean, they have an all-star, which makes them look like a – uh, competent NBA team and a competitive NBA team sometimes, but when you really get down to the to you know to the bottom of all this, you know they're just not a very good NBA team. And I and I would say quite frankly, since the last two months, they're they're a bottom ten NBA team, and I, I think that's hard to argue. Um, but yeah, I wanted to just kind of touch on the Frank Kaminsky comment uh, that Bones had. He he has been a whole lot better. Um, you know, since Cody Zeller's injury and since he's been able to be out there starting at center. And I think you, you saw the offense uh, in the five out system. I mean, you saw what it could create, the space it could create. And when Kaminsky started to see a few threes go down, you know, it's like it's like his whole game changed. I mean, then he was better off the bounce. Then he was more comfortable catching it on the block uh, and going to work. You know, he, he, he just he's a fragile player mentally. But when he has confidence, man, is he tough and man, will he show you how you know, versatile, you know, and, and, de- and deep his skill set is on the offensive end. So, you know, just some comments on that question. But uh, does anybody have anything else to add kind of on the positives and negatives uh, of this road trip? Kind of before we move on and look into the future, what, what lies ahead for the Hornets here. Do you think the uh, the Rising Stars game had anything to do with Frank's confidence after, you know, dropping like 30, 35 points in that game? Do you think that helped any? Yeah, I, you know, I do. I, I really do, Richard. I think that's a good question. Um, you know, he saw a lot of shots go in that game. He knew that, you know, the all-star game and the all-star weekend is, is a platform where there's a whole lot of eyes, you know, on him and on everybody there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Frank's the kind of guy that like that, that is going to mean something to him and that's going to, um, have something to do with his confidence or lack thereof. So I do think that it, that it helped bone. You have, I mean, do you think that that's crazy or no? Cause I, I wanted to bring it up for two weeks now, but I was afraid to do it. So I'm glad you did it. I wanted to say on the air, is it possible that the All-Star, the, this rookie sophomore game, helped Frank Kaminsky? But Handles Randall just took care of business for me, so I appreciate that. No, I think it did. I think at any time, you mentioned Frank being a fragile player. Even if it's not a, a game that counts, you know, that could still mess with you mentally. So I think that was a springboard to his play over the past couple weeks. You know, and I'll say this, too. Um I would usually say with, like, a player, I was like, yeah, well, you know, it was the, the Rising Stars Challenge. There was no defense. The guys were taking wide-open shots, you know, dunking it. But here's the interesting thing about Frank, and we all know this. 
he takes wide open shots anyways, right? So like, so right. It's really, I mean, when you know, in the Kimba pick and roll, when Kimba gets going downhill and Frank's guy has to help, I mean, you're just pitching it back to Frank and he's taking a wide open three. It's 75 to 80 percent of the time. So the wide open shots that he took at the Rising Stars game were no different. He just saw him go in, Richie. So I'm glad you brought that up. And yes, I do think it makes a difference. I have one more one more thing to add. It's something we talked about this week. And I'm sure you'll probably get to it during this podcast, but I'll, I'll go ahead and ask now. The move to the center position also seems to have helped Frank. What do you guys do when Zeller's back to 100%? You, you just roll with Frank now, right? Is, is that your thoughts? Yeah, that's that's interesting. And Richie, I know Richie's going to have uh, an opinion on this because he, he put out a stat on Twitter yesterday, I think it was, about the, the very small sample size we had uh, from the last game where Cody and Frank shared the floor together. Yes, to your question, they are going to keep rolling out Frank at five to start games because they ease Zeller back in, and you know, there's no reason to risk anything at this point in the season. Um, but I do think they're also going to experiment with that lineup where Frank and Zeller are sharing the floor. Um, I mean, like, here's my opinion. I think it can work uh, where they share the floor. Frank plays four, Zeller plays five. But it, that is contingent on Kaminsky being – the player he's been in the last 20 games and not the player he was at the beginning of the season where he's just out there running around, has no plan, is not engaged offensively. Richie and I have talked about this a lot on this podcast. If he's touching the ball, if he's in pick-and-roll situations, you know, if you're running offensive sequences for him and running offense through him, Kaminsky is, is a good player. He has all of these skills. But if he's just out there as a spacer because he's a threat to shoot it, He's not – That's. it's just not – it's not what fits his mentality. You know, it's not what fits his game. He needs to be engaged in the offense. So, I think the two can work. But, yes, again, I, I do think they're going to keep rolling him out there to start at five, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think that I was a little surprised to see how well Cody and Kaminsky paired together when I looked up those stats because I just think that both of them are not the same player, but the way that they get involved is through the pick and roll. And Kaminsky, like we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, if he's not involved in the offense and really he's going to be involved with pick-and-pop situations, he's not really a factor on offense. So with both Zeller and Kaminsky kind of using the pick, get our offense going, it was interesting to see that they actually played well together. So we'll see. I think that, yeah, Kaminsky is going to be the five going forward, but we could also see Zeller play the five and Kaminsky the four when they're in there at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it certainly, you know, it raises a question. And, Richie, you have to remind me later in the podcast. We've got some Twitter questions we do have to get to, I think, don't we? Yeah, I think one. Yeah, and I think one kind of touched on this topic. So I don't want to, like, go too much into it. But, you know, Bones, I I think it really kind of plays to the front court, you know, rotation question, which is is what we're going to cover later. But, you know, how does Clifford use these guys? How much does he use them together? How much does he stagger them? with different lineups, you know, who does Marvin play with better, Frank or, or Zell, you know, so these all are questions that you have to consider now that Frank Kaminsky is, is playing better. Um, so it's, so it's interesting, but here, let's, let's do this. Let's just, we were going to save the Frank conversation until later, but we're just, we're having it right now. So let's just go ahead and keep having it. And let me preface it with some news that Queen City Hoops uh, source close to, to us uh, learned yesterday. Uh, told me, really, um, Frank Kaminsky might have suffered a season-ending injury on, I guess, what was Thursday night. He had he had a shoulder, uh, an injury, 
The team is calling it a sprained AC joint in his left shoulder. Uh, I have been told that an MRI is probably going to happen in Charlotte tomorrow. He obviously will not play tonight in Denver. Uh, that MRI is going to reveal whether or not this is – if there's some serious structural damage in that shoulder. You know, I haven't heard torn labrum yet, but I have been told that, do, you know, that's not off the table. And if that is the case, and the MRI shows that, Frank Kaminsky is going to have to have season-ending uh, shoulder surgery, and he will be out uh, about six months. So, you know, this this is looking like it could be very serious for the Hornets. They will not know tomorrow. Stick with Queen City Hoops. Stick with me. Stick with Richie. Stick with Busby. We're going to be on this story hopefully first. Uh, but this could potentially be very bad uh, for Frank Kaminsky. And I would tell you that even if it is a sprained AC joint, it sounds like it's bad. I would tell you that he's still probably out for the year. Uh, that That is my gut feeling, and that's what I'm hearing. So all this conversation we're having about Frank could be very could be very moot uh, and and really mean nothing. So but on that note, let's let's continue to talk about what he's done lately. Uh, and bones, I'm gonna throw it to you in a second, but uh, 18 points per game, seven rebounds per game, 43% from the field, 38 and a half percent. Uh, from behind the arc and almost 80% from the free throw line in the month of February. Really, really, really a, a big jump for Kaminsky and his efficiency offensively. Bones, if there's one thing you saw offensively from Frank Kaminsky, you know, in the month of February, and I think it was like a 12 or 13 game stretch, what was it? What stuck out to you the most? Consistency and confidence. We've talked about both those things already with him. But if you look at his game log, and it's really started like February 1st. I was going through it yesterday. He's been very consistent, the most consistent stretch of his career so far. And with that consistency has, ton- has come a ton of confidence. You're starting to see a little bit more of Wisconsin, Frank Kaminsky, right? You talked about the ability to step out, put it on the deck, the spin moves in the lane. That's why they drafted him where they drafted him, because he had such a refined offensive game and we're starting to see that more. You saw it in little little bursts every now and then last year and the start this year. You're now starting to see it game after game. So if he is out for the season, it doesn't doesn't impact the Hornets' season per se because it's pretty much the eight seed or nothing for them right now. Right. But it impacts him as a player because he's finally got going for the first time in his career at a high level, and now he might be derailed by a, a pretty serious injury. Yeah, Richie, um, kind of, I want to ask you the same thing, and I know you've got some, some stats that you probably wanted to share, but, I mean, I mean, what have you seen in Kaminsky? I mean, is it just like, wow, he just looks way more confident? Is there one skill that he's been displaying maybe more than the others that, that you didn't expect? I mean, anything that sticks out to you? Um, I mean, you kind of ran through the stats there. Uh, there's no stats that I have, but like T-Bone said, it's, it's just confidence. And he, what we've stated this many times before, he's a very mental player. And if he lacks the confidence, he's going to be out there with the high pick and rolls with Kemba and not know whether to shoot that three or not. He's letting it fly. And you can definitely see in the month of February and obviously the past 10 games or whatever it may be, he's shooting the ball from three very, very well. Uh, It's also interesting to see that he's recording seven rebounds a game. I know that he's not necessarily the biggest bruiser down there, but, and it might be on the weak side a little bit, but that's, that's interesting to me that. Out of you know the month of February, he's right behind MKG with seven rebounds. Yeah, I mean one more I, point I think, to add too. I was going to have one more point to that. He, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about him yesterday about how 
you can play him at the five because of the way the game is played now. If you tried to play Frank Kaminsky at the five 20 years ago, guarding guys like Akeem Olajuwon, it would never work. But you can get by, I think, defensively with Frank at the five for long stretches as well. I agree, and I think that's really the that's the ultimate value for Frank. You know, from a team building aspect, it's just hey, look, like the t- the league's going smaller. This guy has all the stretch the floor, you know, skills that you want in your center. Uh, you know, on a per- on a quote unquote perfect roster in today's NBA. And and to your point, Bones, I think we can get away with him for long stretches defensively because the other team's going small too. So um, here's what I want to say. Now that to Richie's point, now that you know. Kimba's coming off those screens, tossing it back to, to Frank, open three. He's letting it go without any hesitation. Like, now that changes the scouting report on Kaminsky, and it's like, well, you can't kind of chop your feet at him and jog at him, uh, you know, lazily as a closeout. Like, now you got to – now we got to run at him, right? Like, now we got to make an effort to, to make him think twice about leaving, you know, putting the ball on the floor and, and leaving the three-point line. That is the next – frontier so to speak for Frank Kaminsky's development as an offensive player and I think that's where really his it's, it's it, to me it's his coolest skill is that when he puts it on the floor and has that little Boris DL you know back you down into the lane he's a better ball handler than you think he is you know he can take three four five dribbles pretty much get to where he wants without turning the ball over in the paint and now the offense has evolutionized into something right because now your center has Kimba demands the double team, the pick and roll. Now you toss it back to your center. Now your center is is attacking the closeout, getting into the lane. And now guys are, because a seven-footer is in the lane, now obviously people are sagging in to help on that. Can he score from there? From there? Of course he can. But what else can Frank also do very well? Pass. He can pass. So when when teams are consistently starting to close out on him and he is going by that closeout, now the Hornets' offense, I think, has kind of evolutionized into what they imagined, if you will. Uh, so and, and we probably are not going to see that this season. But Frank has showed us enough here in the, you know, in the month of February and recently that I think the Hornets are very comfortable with continuing to try to build this team, quote-unquote, somewhat around him and Kimba. I mean, I, I, you know, I do think that, that there is – a very serious conversation in the front office about that being the idea. I think that, you know, Batum is there. Batum's under contract for a long time. He's a really good player. Uh, but I but I think Kaminsky is, is very much still a part of this, uh, you know, of, of Charlotte's team building uh, thought process. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Which is funny because we've been bashing him this whole season. And then, he, you know, he turns it on for the last 15 <laughs> games. And then now he gets injured. So it's, it's kind of like the microcosm of our season. We, we get hot. And then something something goes wrong. You know, now we great. continue bashing Batum fully. There we go. <laughs> oh, 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 that's coming. That's coming. Hot and heavy. Uh, yeah, you're right, you're, Richie. You're right. Like I, I put it out there on Twitter this week. I was like, look, like I have not been a Kaminsky apologist, so I'm not going to come out and say, you know, oh, I saw this coming. You know, I knew he was going to get it going because I didn't see this coming. You know, Frank has impressed me, and uh, I was wrong. I mean, he's he's proven me wrong here in here in the past 15 to 20 games, but. You know, I, I, I'm still not sold uh, that, that this continues. You know, you still need to see really a whole 82-game sample size to, to believe that it's real. But at least we have something else, uh, a little bit of hope to go off of uh, with Kaminsky. Right, no, you so, just hope the injury the injury doesn't, you know, as we talked about, we hope it doesn't derail the progress, right? He started to get it. Let's just hope that this doesn't 
set him back all summer and next season if he's That's out for the true. year. Yeah, 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 you're, you're certainly right. You know, like MKG came back from this injury, but then he had the exact same injury. Of course, that was a torn labor, and we'll see where Frank's is. But, yeah, golly, you, you really hope that this isn't a serious setback for Frank. We we shall see. We should know as early as tomorrow. But the, the other thing I want to – a quick question. I just want your guys' thoughts really quickly. It's a thought I had last night. Let's say that Frank is out for the season, which, again, we're expecting that is the case. Do you go ahead with, with Zeller's kind of lingering, you know, leg injury that he just – he still looks like he's lumbering out there to me. He doesn't look 100%. I don't know if you guys have realized that. But with Frank out, do you just go ahead and just limit Zeller to like 10 to 15 minutes a night or, or even just shut him down and just go ahead and press the tank button? Like, do you just go ahead and do that if you're Charlotte, or there's no way they're going to do that? I would. I would do that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to shut him down for the complete for the remainder of the season. But, yeah, like you said, maybe limit him in the minutes. It's hard to get a, a good glimpse of, you know, he, he looks like he is kind of hobbling around out there, but it's just tough to see with, you know, limited minutes with Zeller. But I, I personally would, would shut him down or, or keep him on this limited uh, minute restriction. But I don't think the Hornets are going to do that. We're going to... I could see Clifford and the Hornets trying to stumble into this eight seed. So, personally, I would, but I'm not sure they are. I would shut it down because I looked at it this morning. They could still, if they were to tank, they can get as low as the uh, fourth worst record in the league. Obviously, they can't catch the Nets, but they can get the fourth worst record in the league. And aren't we due for some ping pong ball magic at one time in our lives here? Like, if they can get uh, the fourth worst record, can they – can they go get as high as, like, the number four pick in the draft and, and do some damage that way? I mean, look, the number four pick in this draft, Bones, is a really, really, really good player. So, I mean, and they're so close to being able to tank their way to that point. I don't know how possible it is with only, like, 20, a little over 20 games left. But, like, my perfect scenario is, like, well, I mean, I don't want Frank to be out, but I'm assuming he is. He's out. I agree with you, Bones. Just shut Zeller down. And then you're almost to the point, like, you have to survive a few games and wait on Plumlee to get healthy, but you're almost to the point, but you get a look at Christian Wood, right? You get a look at him, get, you get to see him in extended minutes. When Plumlee comes back, you get a better look at him. You know, you get a sample size and figure out going to next season, okay, well, we traded for this awful contract, so we kind of have to play him. So what, you know, where does he fit, right? So you get a look at some pieces that are going to be there anyways, and you need to figure out kind of where they fit in the rotation if they do at all. And so, you know, that that tanking uh, idea kind of gives you the opportunity to do that. But, I mean, I agree with you, T-Bone. I, I would do it, but I also agree with you, Richie. The Hornets are not going to do it uh, because Michael Jordan and it's is a, the It's owner. a team that – I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off there. Um, no, no worries. It's a, team that lacks, it's a team that lacks assets both in, in players – and all that sort of stuff. So if you can get the number, we talked about this a week ago. If they if they can get up to the three or the four pick, and it's going to be all point guards that go at the top of the draft. Lonzo Ball, Fultz from from Washington, Dennis Smith Jr., which we agree that the Hornets aren't going to be in the market for a point guard. Can they dangle? I don't know the four or the five pick and try to get a player back, maybe also. I, I don't think there's any question. And I I, think, I thought about that the other day. I was like, I think it just. Really, if they can just get into the top ten, like all those picks are going to be coveted. We saw the you know the offer that Boston gave Charlotte a few years ago to move up in the draft. Like this draft is going to be just as strong. Who's to say that there's not 
you know, there's not going to be an offer something similar to that out there this year, and you can get a player back, like you said, T-Bones. I mean, it, there's certainly no loss for Charlotte to plummet down in the standings a little bit. Um, there's no loss in that, but I would say that there is plenty to lose by by continuing down this path, this path of going 500 here uh, for the rest of the season and trying to, like, chase the eight seed. Exactly. You know, because you're just – you know, the, you know what I mean? Like, there's no loss by plummeting. There's plenty right. to lose by trying to continue to compete. And I don't know. So we'll see. But, Richie, you're right. They're not going to tank. And, I, you know, I <laughs> I don't know who in the front office listens to our podcast, how many ears we have on this podcast. And I know that they probably don't like hearing it. But, I mean, I, I just can't stop saying it. As long as Michael Jordan is the owner of this team, I, I don't. Like this middling effect of we want to compete, we want to compete. Like it's just, it's going to continue. And I and I don't know what the way out is. I really don't. Um, but it's not a way to run an NBA franchise. And it will come back to bite you and bite your fan base. Um, that much is for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about Kimba and, and try to be positive at some point in time during this podcast. But. Um, here in the last five games, and since returning from the All-Star break, he has been absolutely phenomenal. One of the best players in the NBA, really. He's averaging 27.2 points per game, 5.8 assists per game, 4.2 rebounds per game, shooting the ball at a 50% rate from the floor, 46.3% from behind the arc. Unbelievable numbers. Kim was back to All-Star form. Richie, it's just so fun to watch. It is. It is. And he didn't, you know, have a great performance like Kaminsky did uh, in, in the All-Star game, but I, I do think that he was validated by being selected to that team, and I think that rejuvenated him after the break. And he, he's come back, and he's played very well, and obviously with the other players around him not doing much, uh, it's definitely been harder on him, but he's still putting up these, these crazy numbers. So it's interesting to see Kemba. He's a little bit more decisive in what he's doing. He's let his, letting his instincts take over. Um, I looked up this stat. He is shooting off the dribble and off catch and shoots in these last five games better than he has all season. Uh, in pull-up situations, he's shooting 48%, which is well above his average in these last five games. And then on the catch and shoot off ball, he's shooting 56%. So it's it's interesting to see how he's working off ball as well, just catching and shooting, just you know playing with his instincts. And this is the Kimbo that we've known at, at, from the beginning of the year. Uh, he needs help. He needs help badly, though. We agree on that. Because- oh, yeah. We watched him carry the team from November to December to January. And if you've watched him at all, you knew how tired that guy was before the All-Star break. And now Frank's helped out a little bit, Batum, you know, here and there. But he's he's carried the whole franchise, and that weighed on him. And he got a little bit of a break, got the All-Star break, got to go out there and showcase his skills for, for the world. And he's now rejuvenated. But, man, does this guy need some scoring out desperately because – it's not fair for him not to carry the franchise nearly every single game on his back. No, it's not, Bones. You're absolutely right, and it's also not going to last. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> you. You play 35 minutes a night or whatever Kim was playing, but you're you're exerting the energy that he's had to exert. To your point, that's like playing 45 minutes a night. Like when you're having to be, do that much offensively and, <laughs> you know, matter of factly, defensively too. He's been a great defensive player this year. When you're having to do that much, uh, it, it's going to take a lot out of you. So, and that's really one of the—that's probably the biggest thing that makes me feel like there is a splash coming this summer because the Hornets know, like, 
we, we have to get him scoring help, but we have to just we have to put somebody around him that can take the load off of him because we have to preserve, you know, him throughout the life of his contract. You know, they, they keep making Kimba carry this much weight. This is going to be kind of like lightning in the bottle, like a season and a half, two seasons of this incredible player, and he's going to start wearing out. I mean, we've seen this in the NBA for a long time. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting, but you're absolutely right, Bones. They, they have to get him some help. I mean, it's great that he's scoring these 27 points per game, but that's that's not what we want. Like, if, he, if he's scoring 27 points per game, it's because he's having to do it, not because he necessarily wants to. So he out of 11 games this year, he has scored 30 points or more. How many wins do you think we have out of those 11 games of 30-plus points? Let me guess. We're 2-9. and nine. We're actually 4-7. and seven. But still, still, 4-7 and seven when he's scoring 30 points or more. I mean, yeah, and that's, that's like what I wrote down, I mean, on a, on a smaller scale – in this five-game stretch, and I just mentioned his stats a minute ago and how incredible he's been, we're two and three in that stretch. Like, he, he's playing as good as anybody in the league right now, which would make you think, like, oh, he's just carrying his team. They must be you know, winning games. No, of course not. You know, the Hornets are two and three in that five-game stretch. So it just speaks volumes about what the roster around him really is. And it's what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Like, this team sucks. We just have an all-star on it that makes it look competent from time to time. I mean, that is the reality of it. So let's use this as a platform to talk about what who is supposed to be his partner in crime and got a huge deal uh, last offseason. And, you know, for the lack of better terms, he's been awful this year. I mean, let's, let's be honest. He's had some good moments, but Nick Batum has been really bad. Uh, in this same five-game stretch with Kimba playing at his absolute best all season, I think, or, or one of the best sequences, Batum – is shooting 30% from the floor, 29.5% from behind the arc. He has a 3.8 to 2.8 assist-to-turnover ratio. <sighs> All right, somebody somebody help me. Talk me off the ledge here. I got you. I got gotcha. you. I'm, I'm tired of watching this guy play basketball. Here's the three problems with Nick Batum right now. Number one, he's got to play the small forward spot, the three spot, offensively and defensively. That's number one. Number two, He's a third option at best. He was that in Portland. He played above his head last year in his role, but he's a third option. If he's your second option, uh, that's a problem. Number three, I took a lot of heat all last summer from people on Twitter, on the air, because I said eventually we're going to have contract regret with Nick Batum. You see it all the time in the league. A team signs a guy, then two or three months later he's in trade rumors because they don't want him anymore. I thought we'd have that eventually. I thought down the line we'd go, man, this contract is a problem. I didn't know what happened the first season. That thing is going to be an albatross, and the issue here is this. Other teams know he's a third option. How are you going to move that until it's expiring? How are you going to sell a team on, hey, here's Batum's hefty contract. He'll be a great third option for you. You're going to be stuck with this for a long time. So that's the three big issues I have with, with Batum right now. Outside of his, his numbers, just the fact that he's out of position – and his contract is so absurd for what he's providing right now. Yeah, all valid points. And I, I guess the only team that you could trade him to is a team that's already established and, and is in the playoff hunt because they could need a third option, I guess. But yeah, like I mentioned that, I think it was on my solo podcast when you weren't there, Spencer, that he is just not a number two. Number two, If he's a number two on your team, you're probably not making the playoffs. And he just doesn't have enough alpha in him. He's just a very lackadaisical player, lazy on both ends of the ball with the passing and the defense. And I guess, T-Bone, when you're saying play three on defense, is your is your thinking the fact that threes are typically you know, slower so that he can keep up with them? Yes. 
Okay, I mean that's what I figured. I mean, yeah, that was that was my thing in there, and that, and that that goes into the MKG thing, which is another story. But um, you, 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 MKG may have to be moved at some point because you can't move Batum. I don't know what outside of a team you mentioned like that may need a a guy in the playoffs or whatever. I just don't see a team that's going to want Batum for that amount of money. I think they're stuck with right. it for a while. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Batum was. Uh, I don't. I don't have any inside information, but I, I think Batum was. Uh, discussed at the trade deadline. Uh, it's just my gut. I think the Hornets, like you said, T-Bone, try to get it, uh, try to get off that uh, as quickly as possible. But I mean, I think you could move his contract potentially this offseason to a rebuilding team that just, that, you know, needs the salary. Like knows they're going to be rebuilding for the next two to three years. Needs the salary um, to make sure that you know, you know, they're not below the salary floor. Like. Some teams just need big contracts for that very simple reason, just to know they have somebody on the team that is going to eat up a certain percentage of their cap. But yeah, I don't. That's why the Bucks. That's why the Bucks signed Miles Plumley to his deal because if you remember, Plumley didn't sign during the whole salary purge of 2016. He signed a couple of weeks or a little bit after that because the Bucks were needed to sign somebody. So they signed they signed yeah. Miles Plumley to his 50 million dollar deal. So yeah, you're right. Teams have to do that as well. Yeah, you know, they just they needed they needed a certain percentage of their cap taken care of, and then they just got really good, or they showed a lot of promise really quickly, and then all of a sudden they were like, oh, we got to get off this. So, I mean, that's how quickly things change in this league. But you know, I I, I want to stay on the like Batum defensive conversation because I think it's a fascinating one. I just love how the narrative was before the season and even when we traded for him. And I was talking about this too. You know, I think Batum's an underrated defender. You know, I think he's linked. Uh, next to Marvin Williams and, and Michael K. Gilchrist, uh, cre- you know, creates this like three-headed switching monster. You know, defensively, they could be one of the best in the NBA and like all this stuff. And number one is they're switching more this year, but they're still not switching as much as really I think they they could or should be. A lot of that has to do with Kimbo, but he is he is really hard to watch play defense. He will not get in a stance. He will not move his feet. He will not box out. He ball watches all the time. And those are the kinds of things that, that, I, that drive me more crazy in watching a player on any level of basketball because all that is attention to detail. Like, unless you have knees of glass, like, you can get in a stance, right? Unless you have a back of a, of a 60-year-old man, you can go box somebody out, right? Like, these are things that you just have to – these are just, like, thinking your way through the game. And you would think – that playing for a Steve Clifford coach team that drills this kind of stuff, you know, in practice and into his players more so or as much so as anybody else in the league, you would think that this stuff would like would have begun to set in at this point in time of Batum's tenure in Charlotte. But it's almost like it's gotten worse. And I, you know, I don't take Nick Batum as the kind of guy that I got my contract. Now I can kick my feet up and, you know, and just hang out. But but maybe he is. You know, I, I thought he was a more driven player uh, and more thankful and happy to be next to a guy like Kimba Walker. But he does not – he has not looked like a motivated basketball player this I, I think this is who he is. I think this is who Batum is. I yeah. think last year was the exception to Batum's norm. If you look at his Portland tenure, you know, he had Lillard and Aldridge and Wesley Matthews. They had a great starting five. He could blend in. You look at the numbers, it was like nine a game, I think, is last year in Portland. I said all summer, like, hey, look, let's just hope he doesn't regress back to sort of what he was. Let's hope he continues at that high level he was at last year. And I didn't know the regression would be 
so quick, but it but it's happening right now, and it's it's been you're right, it's been hard to watch. And he's also terrible at guarantees too. Point that out. He's awful yeah. at his, his game guarantees this year. Yeah, he's not good at that. I tell you what, the most frustrating thing is they don't do it. But if if you don't already follow him on Instagram, then then don't go do that. Um, I, I followed him when we traded for him, and I regret it every single day, but I can't take my eyes off of it. He's always on there posting, like, like the other – all right, this, this is great. The other day he posts one of those, like, you know, quad, you know, pictures, and there's four pictures of him dunking. Uh, one in, like, you know, different chronological, you know, point in times in his basketball life. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, you know, I, I don't really don't ever see Nick Batum dunk, so I think this is stupid. But you know, <laughs> but, but you know what he should have is four different pictures of him turning turning the ball over in four different chronological <laughs> point times in his life. That would be much more fitting than him dunking the ball. I almost threw my phone through the window. That made me so angry. So, you know, he, so I want to stay on that real quick too. So, offensively. That guy is the most consistent. Like you want to count on somebody in the NBA turning the ball over three times a game, just call Nick Batum. He's got you. Like he and, and Richie, we've talked about this earlier in the year. Teams of pick and roll situations or any kind of ball screen with Batum as the ball handler. Teams have figured out if we blitz him, like if we're really aggressive guarding that uh, that sequence, you know he's going to pick the ball up. He's going to raise it above his head and panic. You know, not getting a triple threat. He's going to raise it above his head. And if we play with active hands and over-rotate, you know, we can get a steal. Um, and it's, it's got, it's so consistent. I mean, that guy's turnovers it can, yeah, you can, know. you can it, count on it. Comment. You can definitely count on it. Golly. And, and here's the other thing, like the Hornets offense, Batum just can't, he can't get the ball going to the rim. Like, and that's why I don't understand, like, why are they still putting him in these pick and roll situations? Cause he's not good in them. Um, you know, unless there's a free roller, he can make a, you know, a, a crafty pass every now and then, but he cannot get the ball going to the rim off the dribble. And on top of that, you, so you would think, oh, well, he's six, eight. So, you know what we should do? Let's throw in the ball in an area where he's closer to the rim, like in the short corner area or on the block, or maybe even at the elbow, you know, and put him in a more uh, workable, uh, area to, you know, to get him closer to the rim and make a play. But I can't tell you the last time I saw that guy catch the ball somewhere around the rim and not and then fade away all the way to the three point line on a shot. It's just he he has no skill offensively with the basketball and it's just everything comes back to the same soft soft he saw everything seems to like morph back to that conversation with Nick Batum. So I hope he turns it around. I know I'm really getting off on a tangent now, but anybody else uh, have anything on Batum? No, I just wanted to add one more time that, yeah, he's pretty soft. I wanted to make sure you got that in there again. All right, perfect, perfect. Good combo. Let's let's kind of wrap this thing, guys, and then we do have to get to the Twitter questions. But let's wrap this on looking ahead for what comes for the Hornets um, for the remainder of the season. You know, right now, and Richie, I don't have it pulled up, so tell me if I'm wrong, but the Hornets, are they, they're three and a half out right now, the eight? Is that right? I think about that, yeah. I don't have that pulled up either, but I think you're right. I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, but here's here's what we're looking at coming up for really – I'm going to say the next 14 games for the Hornets. Um, they, they're in Denver tonight, so this is the last game of the current West Coast road trip for Charlotte. After this, they go home for 10 of the next 14 games. And when you look at the schedule, all of those games are, for the most part, quote-unquote winnable. I don't really know what that means with this team right now, but – 
I mean, they're pretty winnable games at home. So, you know, it, there is a chance that uh, that they get back into it this season. What do you guys, what do you foresee in this next 14-game stretch where the Hornets are at home for 10 of them? And by the way, they are three games back right now. I just looked it up of Detroit in the standings. What do you see happening these next 14 games? Do you see like 500? Do you think they can make a run with getting back at home? What do you see? Bones, let's start with you. I think they had a, a, a chance, not a great chance, but a chance if Kaminsky was going to play. Like, if you tell me Kaminsky is going to play and play the way he has played, then they have a, a, a little bit of a chance to catch the, the Pistons, who I believe are eight right now. But without Kaminsky, and I did the research this morning before I came on with you guys, of 17 games they have left, not, not, not that they have 17 games left, but of 17 games, 13 games are against teams in the playoffs right now. So 13 games against playoff teams as it stands right now. Four other games, two against Miami, two against Milwaukee, who are ahead of them. So they have 17 games remaining against teams that are in the playoffs or could be in the playoffs. And if you don't have Frank Kaminsky in those games, I just don't think – I don't think – I do not see them uh, making a push for that eight seed and, and entering the slaughterhouse against the Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think that we could probably hover around 500 for these next – uh, which is a 14 games here. But I actually looked up the stats as well, T-Bone, and we do have the most home games out of any Eastern Conference team uh, remaining in the, in the right. remaining schedule. Uh, and also, according to NBA.com, I don't. I think they have this, some kind of formula with strength of schedule where they factor in like back-to-backs, uh, winning percentage on the home and road. And we actually have the easiest one out of the seeds 6-11. through 11. So Chicago, Indiana, Detroit, Miami, Milwaukee, us, Charlotte, out of those teams, we have the easiest strength of schedule. So it's favorable in, in an extent, but I don't think without Kaminsky that we can make any noise. Yeah, they're playing a lot of playoff teams, but there was also like, they weren't like, not all of them were like the high end playoff right. teams. Right? Okay. There was a lot of Denver's and, you know, the kind of the six to eight range. That That's kind of who they were. They were playing mainly of those uh, 13 games against playoff teams. Yeah, it's interesting. So, it really, I mean, really, when you look at it, it does suggest that the Hornets could potentially get back into the, the race here, um, which is obviously what they're trying to do. So, it's something we, that we want to uh, want to keep our eyes out for. Uh, a, a win tonight in Denver and getting out of this, this West Coast road trip would – you know, would propel Charlotte, I think, back into to a good mindset going back home and, and probably throw them back into the race. But we'll see what happens tonight. That game, by the way, is a 9 p.m. Eastern uh, Eastern tip tonight in Denver. Again, the last of this West Coast road trip for the Hornets. All right, Richie, let's uh, let's get to the Twitter questions, if you want to present those, or the Twitter questions. Sure. Uh, it's actually from uh, Brian... Geisinger uh, of Sports Channel 8. Uh, he was a previous guest of friend the show. Go ahead. Friend of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. previous guest. So um, it wasn't necessarily a question, more to get our thoughts on the front court rotation. I mean, obviously Kaminsky's injured, but with Cody back, uh, MKG, Marvin, Kaminsky, do you think we can go small? Are there any uh, instances in which we could? Uh, just giving our thoughts on playing small ball with the Hornets. Um, if you want me to lead off, I just... I'll lead off with this. I just think that going small is great in today's game. I think that the benefits of going small gives you the ability to freely switch on defense. It creates spacing on offense, and obviously the the pace pace goes up a little bit. But I think the issue is we don't see enough of it with Clifford, so it's hard to gauge if we do play well. 
in that small ball system and see who works well with others. Uh, and issue number two, MKG is not a floor spacer, nor does he really distribute the ball all that well. So him in a small ball system, it's kind of tough to, to see. But so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do see the benefits in today's game of playing small ball, but it's hard to tell and gauge based off how Clifford runs his offense. Yeah, I think Kemba I, uh, excels. Kemba excels with that because of the, his style of play. You get Kemba getting up and down the court that can only benefit him. But like you said, do they have all the the horses to run with Kemba to, to play that style? I don't know if the roster is built perfectly for small ball because that's a good point with MKG. He's not really the type of guy that you think he would be, but he doesn't shoot it well enough to be an impact guy in small ball. Yeah, uh, it's a really interesting question to discuss I, I i think that you know i think clifford is more comfortable with the more traditional lineups which you which you brought up richie i mean i think that if frank is healthy for the remainder of the season which again we don't expect him to be but you know i think if he is you, you see a lot of frank zeller um and i think that that cody would still you know finish games on the floor for charlotte um you know if, if they if they're going to stay at full strength and chase this playoff seed but you know i there's just, I think the the toughest part right now with with the rotation is that you you can't when MKG can't play late in games, and you know if you're not going to play him at the four and he's going to play the three, let's say next to Frank, um, and and Zeller, you it, it's like a mystery who can play that the three, right? Like like Marvin, yes, he could, he's probably the best fit for it right now, but between Jeremy Lamb, Marco Bellantelli. And Michael K. Gilchrist, like, there's just no answers there. And you've seen Bellinelli playing a lot in the second half and really a lot to end games with the starting unit. And it's just not working because he's so awful defensively and he's just a shell of himself at this point in the season uh, offensively. Did I say defensively first or offense? I might have said offensively twice. But, um, you know, he's, he's awful defensively and he's a shell of himself uh, offensively now. So there's just no consistency at, at the three spot. Um you know, when MKG has to come off the floor late in the games, who do you replace him with? Um, it's been the the constant wishing well, going to the wishing well, hoping Jeremy Lamb would make the leap, and he just really – he's made baby steps, but he's never really made the leap. And Bellinelli, I think, has done. So I think that is the larger conversation. I think the Hornets can have success with Frank and Zeller sharing the floor, but they got to figure out who's playing the three. Are you going big with Marvin, which is fine if you're going to do that, and then Batum Kimba – or, um, you know, are you going to you try to play, slide in Lamb or Bellinelli uh, or, or MKG at the three? That's the larger question. If you go small, then it means either Frank is coming off the floor or it means Zeller's coming off the floor. And, and that, that, I don't know what the answer is there. You know, like, I would be more comfortable with Zeller out there. I just feel like there's, our offense flows better with him. But obviously, with Frank out there, you have more of a five-out scheme where, you know, when Kimba's going downhill off the pick and roll, you can toss it back. And now really you're playing a two-on-one situation in the back end. If, if a guy runs at Frank, he throws it to the corner and you get a three. The guy doesn't rotate on him when he's got an open three. So it's kind of like pick what you would rather have. Would you rather have a pick and roll with Zeller sprinting to the rim and the help coming that way? Uh, or the, ro- the defensive rotations coming off of that? Or would you rather have Kaminsky floating out uh, kind of in a pick-and-pop situation and the rotations coming to the three-point line. Does that make sense? So that's that's kind of what you have to choose there. Right. I think if you put Zeller in there, you have to have shooters around him because he's going to draw the 
the attention into the paint to where you can kick it out to shooters. If you have Kaminsky in there, he is your shooter, and Kemba works in the space in between. So, yeah, I guess it's it depends on how well you know the Marvin and, and the players around him are shooting threes, whether or not Zeller's the better fit there. Right, exactly. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, MKG probably not a great fit to play around Zeller. MKG probably much better fit to play around um, to play around Kaminsky and kind of occupy that short short corner area when Kaminsky pops, um, you know, and now you've got him in, in perfect offensive rebound uh, situation. And, you know, you saw that the other night. God, what game was it? Well, it was, it was the last game the Hornets played. I mean, in Phoenix, I think MKG had like six or seven offensive rebounds, you know, and it's because right. he offensively he turns into, you know, he occupies that baseline short quarter area, uh, and he's just in perfect position. He doesn't have to crash from the three-point line or from somewhere around the arc for the offensive rebound. He's kind of already in position. So, And the five's outside Garden Frank. Right, and the five's outside guarding Frank, so you're, so you're pulling the biggest guy away from the basket um, for most of the time. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting question, and a lot of it will have to do, uh, you know, for the rest of the season at least, on, on what this injury ends up being diagnosed as uh, for Kaminsky Bones. Any, any last thoughts on kind of this rotational thing? Uh, no, can I bring up one more roster point going forward over the summer? Absolutely. If, if they get, and it, obviously it's a long shot because our history with the lottery is not good, but if they did get the three, the four, the five, and it goes their way, I would call the Bulls and just at least ask them, mm-hmm. would they trade Jimmy Butler for a top five choice? Hmm. I just yeah, don't, I don't know, know if it fits. I don't know that the contract stuff, but you know the Bulls, the Bulls are trying to rebuild. They're trying to get a point guard to replace what Derrick Rose was back in the day. I would at least make a phone, maybe not just to the Bulls, but I would call some teams that need a point guard because that's who's going to go early and say, hey, we're in position here for you guys to take, you know, whatever, ball or whatever, whatever however it turns out. I would make some calls because you can use that top five pick possibly as an asset. Oh, I mean, no doubt. I think you're, you're definitely thinking the right way. Chicago, you know, that example, I'm not sure – makes a ton of sense just because of like what I think they just turned down from, you know, it's just, you yeah. look at those Boston Chicago conversations and we're not sure who turned down who it actually sounds like maybe Boston pulled the plug on it and it didn't rush, but I don't know. I just feel like if the, if the bulls are going to trade Butler, they, they could have found a way to do it at the deadline. Right. Maybe, maybe it's not the bulls, but I would definitely, I would definitely call some teams that are rebuilding and want that, top that one of those top picks and just see if there's anything there now maybe the hornets don't want to trade that at all but this is a team that is so desperate of assets to improve the roster you've got to try every avenue to try to get Kemba some help out there i agree you know i yeah go ahead richie i mean i think the issue is we're not going to be in the top five i I, we all on this podcast are saying we should tank you know shut it down for the season so we can get you know better odds at getting a higher pick but we all know that we're going to be hovering around this eight seed, and and this conversation's really going to be for not. Yeah, so right, and they could still get a really great player at you know eight, nine, ten. I'm big on Malik Monk because so I'm tired Spencer. of the constant search for shooting. Yeah, he, that's, that's the guy he too. He is that, a I, player. There's been a search for shooting guards on this team seemingly forever, from back in the Bobcat days. Henderson was here, whatever. I want a, I want a guy that I know I can plug in there for the next four or five years. Because they passed on Bradley Beal in 2012. Can they pass on a guy like Malik Monk again, another guy that's 
not exactly like Bradley Beal, but can you pass on another shooting guard like that? I don't think so. That's my guy right there if they're going to be in that, you know, probably the 7-8 range or so, 8-9, eight, eight, whatever it is. Right. Well, here's something interesting is uh, in, in Joe Michael, you know, the podcast that I did with my buddy about the draft uh, last week, we talked about Monk. I love him. You know, I think he's a great player. I think he's a can't-miss prospect. Uh, T-Bones, I think he's the absolute dream fit for this roster. And, it, well, he's the dream fit next to Kimball Walker. Let's put it that way. So what I would say in an interesting kind of undertone combo around his stock as a player, Malik Monk, going up to the draft, which will be here very quickly, really. So I can't wait to start talking about it more. But he's 6'3". You know, I think his measurables in terms of his wingspan and athleticism are going to help him in that conversation. But historically and traditionally, guys that are 6'3", if they don't play the point guard position, have started to slide. Their stock has been hurt by that, and they've started to slide down draft boards. Don't be surprised if Malik Monk doesn't end up, and I think it's not justified, but it, it might happen, and I would almost predict that it will happen. He might slide from that 7 to 12 range right in where Charlotte probably will be picking, and they should be doing everything humanly possible to find a way to position themselves to draft Malik Monk. So that is what's playing in the Hornets' favor. Richie, you're right. They're not going to be in the top five. Probably not. But they could be in 7 to 12, you know, as early as 7, probably as late as 12. And Malik Monk, the, the shining light at the end of the tunnel for the Hornets is he might slide down those draft boards because of his, uh, his 6'3 size as a shooting guard. I mean, the best shooting guards in the league right now, none of them are that small. You know, I think, I think the best comparison from Malik Monk would be like a Brad Beal. And Brad Beal, you know, off the top of my head, I think he's 6'5". So that's, I'm telling you right now, 6'3 is going to hurt Monk, and I, I have a gut feeling that he's going to end up in that area where the Hornets are picking. So just continue to watch that. Can I give you guys my tagline that I tweeted out last week for Malik Monk, the, the the calling card for Malik Monk? It was so popular on Twitter, it got like three favorites. So I thought it was pretty popular. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Reek for Malik. Reek for Malik. I like it. I, 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 yeah. I, I just liked it too. So you got five favorites. Five, now. yeah. I like it. Good. Because a guy <laughs> called in last week and said stunk for Monk, but that only makes sense like, if we've already stunk for Monk, like if he's already there. Yeah. Right. Past Malik yeah. is like in the now, like in the present. And that, I think that thing could become real. I'm talking T-shirts and bumper stickers. And I don't know. It's it's uh, it's uh something to think about there, fellas. No, but here's the here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're, we're going to pass on someone. So it, it probably will be Monk that we pass on if we do have an opportunity to select him. That's what I'm excited about for this draft, to see who we pass on and what random player that we take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, uh, well, no, he's no Hornets. The Hornets love them some white guys right now. So prepare for TJ Leaf at a UCLA. Oh my God, Richie, man! Look at Richie unleashing. I love it. Speaking the truth, throwing out, throwing out some shade. Hey, you remember what I told you, Richie? The truth will set you free. So, and that is cert- <laughs> that is certainly the truth. All right, fellas. Well, this has been really fun. We're right up against that hour and five, six minutes. So let's wrap this thing. Anything else that we hadn't hit on, Richie? I think we covered a lot today. Yeah, we covered it all. Now, I'm going to name this episode the Kimba episode just because it's episode 15, not necessarily because we all talked about Kimba for the whole time, but I'm going to name it Kimba Walker or something to that effect. Perfect. That That is awesome. I love it. I saw you kind of mention that on Twitter the other day to our, our friends over. What's the Suns podcast? The uh, Solar Panel. Yeah, the Solar Panel. They're a really good listen, huh? 
Yes, they are. They really are. Go check them out. They're also at almightyballer.com. Uh, the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. So, hey, look, T-Bones, we really appreciate you being on here today. Um, I want to give you this opportunity to plug anything you want to plug. Where, where can people find your new podcast? Where can they listen to you daily? Uh, you know, Plug yourself here. Well, I, the, the show is The Mac Attack, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on 610WFNZ, 102.5FM. You can also find the podcast at WFNZ.com. Uh, Twitter, I'm at T-BoneWFNZ. And my MySpace page is still active. If you're a MySpace user, you can still <laughs> find me on MySpace. And I'll put you in my top eight friends if you find me. Oh, man. I thought MySpace was some lost somewhere out there in cyberspace but i guess no i'm trying to bring it back hey i'm with you we'll we'll promote it man if you think it's got some uh if you think it's got room to grow let's jump on it i just Um, haven't checked my my page since 2007 so don't don't add me just yet (laughs) on that all right i I probably still have one too actually i'm gonna go see if i can find dig that up after this Yeah, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on. All right, guys. Well, it's been episode 15 of the BuzzBeat Podcast. Handles! <laughs> uh, we are a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, and obviously this is your official podcast uh, of QueenCityHoops.com. So make sure you're going to Queen City Hoops for all your written content uh, covering the Hornets uh, from top to bottom, A to Z. Everything you want is there. Make sure you're following me on Twitter. Um, I am at QCH Spencer. Hey, T-Bones, uh, tell the folks, if you didn't already, I don't think you did, tell them where they can find you on Twitter. At T-Bone WFNZ. Perfect. Uh, and then, Richie, tell our folks where they can find us on the interwebs and where they can follow you and the BuzzBeat uh, handle on Twitter. Yeah, find me at, at Richie Randall. Our BuzzBeat podcast is at BuzzBeat podcast. You can find us at Queen City Hoops, at AlmightyBaller.com, Stitcher app, iTunes app. Whatever's whatever podcasting app that you use. All right, perfect, fellas. Well, look, it has been fun. T Bones, we're definitely going to have you on again very soon. Uh, we will continue to uh, to watch everything that we've talked about today. Love the conversation with the Hornets as the season uh, starts to to come to an end. Here, it looks like pretty soon, uh, and we move into draft season, my favorite season. So, guys, again, thank you very much, listeners. Thank you for uh, thank you for hanging in there with us. Make sure you're, you're commenting. Letting us know what you like, letting us know what you want to hear more of. Uh, and until next time, go Hornets. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.